is the Carrie Edelman Show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. I am so excited today as we have an amazing New York best-selling Times author coming on named Jennifer Keishan Armstrong, and she's going to be joining some of the amazing artists, comedians, authors, and entertainers that I've had the pleasure of interviewing. Um, some of them include the award-winning journalist, author, Mike Sager, an illustrator, writer, and performer named Abby Shackner, world-renowned mastering engineer, Mayor Applebaum, CEO Mark Nawara of Pavement Entertainment, and the list goes on with tons of comedians and musicians. Um, so please check them out. It's all on iTunes. Before I bring her on, I like to do a brief introduction to my show. Um, it was my show. My background is in um, psychology, and one of the things I truly enjoy enjoy doing in my profession is interviewing entertainer, um, interviewing people. Um, but my other passion also is with the entertainment industry. And the thing that I really enjoy about that is I'm a huge fan of, of TV and comedy and music. So I really wanted to bring my two passions together, which is entertainment and interviewing, to create a really unique forum to support people in the industry. Um, I really do a different type of interview. I do a lot of research, and I really make the interview unique for the guest that comes onto my show. So on my show, you're going to get a really good vibe of what these people's lives are like, what it's like to get into their profession. Although I did mention that I am, um, my background's in psychology, my show is purely an entertainment show. Um, we're not going to be doing any therapy or assessment here, but sometimes we do bring up psychological terms, maybe in more of a general concept for an educational um, purpose, so to speak. Okay. So if you're tuning in, create a blog talk radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com and, um, let's do this. Let's do a nice introduction for, uh, Jennifer and then we'll bring her on. So as I mentioned in the beginning, she is a New York times bestselling author. She has written books on Seinfeld called Seinfeldia. She also has one on the Mary Tyler Moore show, sex in the city and us. And her most recently published book is titled pop star goddesses and how to tap into their energies to invoke your best self. Um, she, her career is just outstanding. She has spent a decade on staff at Entertainment Weekly. Um, she's also written for numerous, numerous publications, including BBC Culture, who she currently works with, The New York Times, Book Review, Vice, New York Magazine, Billboard, and the list goes on. Um, she's very uh, diverse in terms of some of her interests, and she does some singing and songwriting. I've seen her on a... Uh, Facebook. She's amazing. She also speaks about pop culture and creativity. She hosts a podcast titled Hashtag Authoring. Um, she offers services on editing and writing. She's worked also as a professor and an instructor. So I don't want to give too much away, but for more information, visit her at Jennifer Keishin Armstrong, and that's JenniferKArmstrong.com. And please pick up a copy of her book today, Pop Star Goddesses uh, by going to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Walmart, and many other retailers. So let's bring Jennifer on, and then um, we will get into the interview. Hey, Jennifer, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So how are you making out? I just always like to start out now because, unfortunately, things have changed a little bit with everything in the world. How are you making out with the whole quarantine and, and what's been going on? I mean, you know, I would just say as 
as blessed as one could be. You know what I mean? Um, yes. You know, we're like, especially I'm so grateful for the fact that my partner and I can both work, do our work from home. Um, so we're really lucky in that way. We haven't, we have a good home, you know, um, yeah. we have a good place to be and we are doing what everybody else is doing, you know, watching a lot of old movies and Netflix and making bread and, um, <laughs> trying to do good, the good that we can from our home and, um, you know, just that that's kind of how it's been. And we've had our, some slight ups and downs, but it's been pretty, um, we've been pretty lucky. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, it's good that, like you said, you're in a, in a circumstance, in a situation where you do have that ability to work from home, whereas a lot of people, unfortunately, are either, you know, in unfortunate situations where they're getting laid off or the work is just not coming in like it used to. So, no, that's great. That's great. So, um, so let's do this. Let's start out. I always like to kind of start from the beginning and, you know, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about, and then we're going to eventually delve into, of course, your, your writing career, but um, tell us a little bit about yourself as a kid and what it was like growing up in the suburbs of Chicago and how would you describe your personality? And, you know, if you can reflect back to really little, you know, like maybe five, six, seven, and then we'll start to move forward, of course, to eventually get into you moving to New York and et cetera. Sure. Um, I actually, I feel like I've, I've had a remarkably, um, consistent personality since about five. So um, that will work well. Um, I I had a really nice upbringing for the most part. You know, I, as you mentioned, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, the, the one that I sort of identify with, you know, you move around a couple times when we were in the same area and my mom still lives in a place called Homer Glen, Illinois, uh, southwest mm-hmm. suburbs of Chicago, and um, you know, really suburban, pretty white, um, pretty, uh, you know, it kind of like the thing we think of as the American white suburban experience. You know, um, I was an overachiever and um, very confident from young. I was. I was an only child until I was about eight. Um, oh, okay. So I have a lot of those sorts of traits, like I love to perform and be the center of attention um, mm-hmm. and was very used to, you know, I was a precocious kid and I, got, I was very used to kind of like having the attention of all the adults in the room who thought I was wonderful. So, um, (laughs) you know, that is, that's great in a lot of ways and also, you know, does create some personality traits that, that later we need to work on. (laughs) Okay. Um, Um, That would be, that's overall, that's sort of how it was. Okay. So yeah, tell us, I mean, I I did read that, you know, you used to put on performances in your garage. And, you know, tell us about a little bit, what were you performing? You know, what, what ages were you doing this at? Yeah, I was, um, it's funny because you said the age of five and I feel like that's probably deliberate because I feel like that's when my, I really, oh, like okay. my clear, <laughs> my, my clear memories, I feel like really start. And that's when I started to feel like a person, you know, like a person who mm-hmm. I, where I felt like I knew who I was, Thought I, I was pretty sure I knew everything by the time I was about five. Um, I, yeah, at least starting at that. No, really even younger than that. Now that I think about it, I was, I loved to perform. Um, 
I was very loved. Like my first fandom was that I loved uh, Donnie and Marie Osmond. And um, I, I got like this little record player that had, you could plug in a microphone to it and you could sing along and it had, you know, come through the speakers. And I loved that. And I loved performing for my parents' friends. Like I would perform, make them listen to me sing songs and dance. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) These were not like, I I was not particularly like, I think I was like, you know, middle of the road talent. Like it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't as if I was some sort of prodigy. It was just like me singing Barry Manilow songs to my parents' friends. And we have this great, we've, my dad had put together some old, they have a big video camera of the time, you know, from the 80s he used to use. Mm-hmm. And there's a clip of me singing a Barry Manilow song to him. And then I stop Aww. and look at him off camera and say, can, we can do this later when there's people here, right? Um, <laughs> clearly, that it is- was always like, it's. It's cool. I can do this for you, Dad, but you know, um, I also right, want to do it in front of other people later. There. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Aww. As if it's amazing too. It was. It was. Uh, it was not that great. It was very cute, but um, yeah. So I loved that, but I also would then conscript my friends in the neighborhood to put on plays that I would write, and. Um, also really loved musicals at the time. So sometimes we would just reenact like Grease or The Sound of Music. And then mm-hmm. other times I did, you know, write plays that I made them all do. And for some reason they listened to me and did it. <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> well, I think like you said too, you said that, I'm not going to say type A personality, but you clearly said yeah. growing up, you were definitely someone, right, who's assertive and confident and you're, you're rallying mm-hmm. up that crowd and this is how it's going to be done. And you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's nice. crazy that they listen to me. I really look back and I'm like, what a little bossy pants. But, um, <laughs> and I was always the star, of course. Like, I would be like, we're going to do Grease and I'm going to be Sandy. And right. yeah, they all just were like fine with it. So, I, I mean, clearly, this is where my interest in entertainment and pop culture kind of started in the right. fact that I actually love, I think that's true for a lot of us that I actually loved to perform in some ways, but maybe wasn't quite talented enough. You know, you have to be extraordinary um, to really break through in something like that. And I was like adequate and I loved to do it. And as you, you know, as you said, I still do it online sometimes, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is where it really came from is that I really do relate to people who want to do this for a living. And I really admire people who are extraordinary at it. Okay. And did you, you know, just to, we don't have to go too delve, too de- oh, excuse me, we don't have to delve too far into this, but did you, like, as a little kid, did you really think you might become like a pop star or you might become an actress? I mean, was that ever something at least loosely in your mind? I think so. Yeah. Especially like, I really would have loved to be a pop star. This was, this is a big thing. And as you mentioned, I had a book recently about pop stars and I think that's why I love them so much is that, you know, I did, I love all the things they do. Like I love to do all the things they do. I love to sing. I love to perform and I love to dance. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was an adequate kind of dancer cheerleader as well at the, at the time. So like it does all the things, it pushes all my buttons. And I think there was definitely a time, like I, I always had at least one big 
pop star goddess in my life at every, you know, I loved Debbie Gibson. I loved Mariah Carey, like to an extreme, you know, to what, to a degree of like, I would, I would study them and especially the Debbie Gibson era because she was a teenager and I was, you know, a little younger and she was a songwriter, which I thought was so cool. And that was, I really like, I tried to write some of my own lyrics and I wasn't, I could never quite got it together to like really, you know, write full songs on the piano and stuff, but I played instruments and I, you know, so it was like, I was close. And I think at that time I imagined that I might be able to do something like that with my life, but um, I really loved to write and I knew like write prose and I kind of, somewhere right after that figured out that writing, you know, on paper mm-hmm. was going to be more of my thing. Okay. And how old do you think you were about this time where you're talking about, like you said, the Debbie Gibson era and you're getting into writing Let's and you're realizing see. you might not write pop songs, but you definitely have some talent for writing. Yeah, that was like, um, you know, preteen era. So like 10 to 13 mm-hmm. and definitely even before that I was always writing but like um you know like the plays and you know I was writing plays for the garage and stuff like that um and I love to read and so that was I really as much as I like to perform I'm also a an introvert and I loved the idea mm-hmm. of this like thing you could do where you are still kind of performing it's a funny thing but I teach this in my classes sometimes you are putting out a performance if you're publishing Right. And, right, you know, it's a kind of, yeah, that's an remember that your audience. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective. But you are because you have to entertain the person that's reading the book. I mean, you got to pull them in. Um, if you're not right. doing that, it's going to be very hard to get their attention. So that's, yeah, that's really interesting the way you framed it like that. Yeah, you have to think about the reason I talk about it and when I've taught sometimes is just like it's easy to forget that and it's part of writing is being alone and it's fun, you know, just to be by yourself. But you do at some point if you want to publish actually have to think about your audience keeping, Mm -hmm. you know, getting their attention, keeping their attention and deserving their attention, all of those things, you know, come into play. And I think that I liked the kind of combination that this allowed, which is to say it's, there's also an element, you know, if you're an author and a published author, like there is this element that I was talking about of like, there are times when you are the center of attention essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. So I still, I still got that. And it takes a lot of confidence to be a writer and publish because you're saying what I, what I say, you know, deserves to be read. It deserves attention. And that's, that's a lot. So, you know, I think it kind of combined all of those things and still allowed me that feeling of, like, I get to be totally alone. I control this experience. You know, you are Mm -hmm. in complete control when you are writing by yourself at that moment. And so that all of that plus just, like, I have very nerdy elements of liking to do, you know, I, I mentioned even before, like, when I loved Debbie Gibson, I didn't just enjoy her music. I went to the library and checked out every, you know, magazine. I would get like the mm-hmm. periodical guide and, you know, check out every magazine that had mentioned her and read everything about her. And, you know, I, I had this, this streak in me that um, I was able to eventually indulge as an entertainment reporter later. Right. No, I mean, yeah, there's definitely, like you said, in, in addition to just, the performance quality of yourself, this ability to write, this curiosity. And I think 
that that's what's mm-hmm. so important and that's what comes across in these books that you've written. And we'll get into them a little later. I mean, Seinfeldian, that's, that's why I learned about you, um, was when people I knew said, oh, you're such a fan of Seinfeld. You've got to read Seinfeldian. They said, what's it about? And they're like, mm-hmm. the history of the show. And I'm, I'm really curious. I do tons of research when I do my interviews. I'm like, oh, i got to get this. And it's phenomenal because, like, you're digging into all those little nitty-gritty pieces that you wouldn't know about. And you have to have that passion to dive into that stuff or it's just going to be, you know, too much for someone to be able to do something like that. For sure, for sure. And I really love, like, my favorite part about all of this is kind of being able to nerd out. Like, how lucky am I that when I get (laughs) get that book contract that then it's free reign to just, like, you know, we, you, most of us have to have to ignore that, right? Like, I'm thinking of if you do a Google search really quick, you're like, who's this actor? And you you look at it, and then you have this urge to, like, go down the wormhole. And sometimes you do, mm-hmm. but a lot of times you don't have time. I get to do that. I, get, I should go right. down every rabbit hole there is of, of information yeah. about this. And that part is really fun to me. Yeah, definitely. And I'll have to – and I'm saying this as a compliment for you because you're – career is just so extensive. Um, you know, even when I was doing my research on you, I mean, there's pages and pages and I'm like, you know, I have an outside career outside of this. And I'm like, I want to get as much as I can about Jennifer, but you know, now I'm getting overwhelmed saying, you know, I got to look at this and I got to look at that. And, you know, eventually I have to say to myself, okay, Carrie, you've done enough for now. And if you yeah. want to bring her on yes. for another interview, we can always do a second <laughs> interview. Um, but yeah, similar to you, I like to really yeah dig in and find interesting stuff. I don't just want to throw out like a cookie cutter question. I want to make it really different and right. unique. And that's definitely something that you capture um, in, in all of your books and your writings. So, Thank okay. You. So let's, uh, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk, just, you know, just fill us in a little bit, like we, like you said, you're performing as a kid. You know, what TV shows did you watch as a kid? What were some of the books that you were reading um, that was really, again, also kind of jogging this interest of yours? Yeah, I was, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of my memory is just, like, very mainstream. Um, you know, like, TV was so different in, like, mm-hmm. the 80s and the 90s even, right? You had a couple options that everybody was watching, but I liked that. I liked the feel. There is something about that to me that I'm very interested in is like, I liked that feeling of watching this thing with the whole nation. So something like Seinfeld, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I liked all of the, the, you know, it's like cheers and even the cheesy ones, silver spoons and, you know, fact yeah. life and all of that stuff. Um, really loved all of that and loved watching that stuff. That was very much a time when you would watch with your whole family and cause there were only so, so many options and so many TVs in your home. And, exactly. um, you know, we were, we were a TV family, you know, I really like going back even like I, you mentioned that one of my books is about the Mary Tyler Moore show and that, you know, show technically started before I was born, but my family was watching it, I guess, in probably syndicated reruns. And we were also watching the spinoff Rhoda together. And so that's one of my earliest TV memories. And we all watched Cheers together. We all watched the Cosby show together, you know, and we would speak to each other in, you know, TV jokes and catchphrases. Right. We were very pop. Yeah. Yeah. We were super pop culture laden family. Like I speak that way still to my siblings, especially. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so that's that my memories of growing up with TV. I mean, I tell this story all the time when people ask about like 
why I write so much about TV history, but it's really true. One of my memories is that I would get the TV guide and I would read all the articles. It would get there, you know, get to the house and I'd read all the articles and then I'd go through and circle all the things I was going to watch that week. Like that was how (laughs) nerdy and regimented I was and really speaks to why I would end up writing about television for entertainment weekly. Cause I, you know, would, I loved reading those behind the scenes stories yeah, that they would cool. have in TV Guide, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I loved being the one who knew the things about it besides just taking it in passively. I would love to be able to say, like, you know, <laughs> that annoying person, you know, actually, <laughs> the way that they filmed this was, you know, I was that person. And then right. um, in high school, I would say I got really, like, I, and this is true of me to this day, um, I love teen, teen shows teen dramas um i was the 90210 generation so mm-hmm. um love you know that to me was so, so mind-boggling when they started making shows that were like about young people um really you know like that was one of the first big ones and i felt so i felt so seen even though it's a ridiculous show about <laughs> people in beverly hills you know um, right right yeah yeah uh no, so I that was kind of what I remember. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you were definitely into books, like you said, Sweet Valley High. I think I read that. You Sweet know, that Valley High. You were, yeah. <laughs> you were devouring those <laughs> books, right? Yes. Yes. It's really true. <laughs> and it's so funny now that we're saying this all out loud and I'm thinking about Debbie Gibson too. Um, and I loved, like, I was also very into like the boy band situation. So like new kids on the block, especially it was one of my first big things. And it's funny, but mm-hmm. I've, and I've really retained to this too, that even though I'm in my forties now, I love like youth culture. I just think it's always interesting. Cause I guess they're always telling you kind of like what the young people are up to, right? Like what, and it, they're always sort of a little bit at the cut, not that not the new kids on the block and Debbie Gibson are cutting edge, but you know, they're, they're sort of yeah. like, teen shows especially they're always the first to have you know there there's a bunch of them that had like the first gay kiss the first this the first that you know and it's like right they always are a little bit ahead and always super dramatic which is fun because like teens get to be dramatic and um I just think that's such a fun interesting time and I agree with you. I'm, I'm totally into that type of stuff, too. So, yeah, I, I absolutely love. And I think part of it has to do with my background as a psychologist. You know, I'm very just interested oh, yeah. in, I'm, I'm definitely more of an analytical person. I'm curious about the family history and, you know, just mm-hmm. the development of personality characteristics. So I think a lot delves into that, too. Plus, I just love entertainment. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, no, that's thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. Now, tell us a little bit about, you know, as of course, with what you feel comfortable sharing, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your parents. Um, were any of them involved in any type of arts or entertainment, like writing or performing or anything? Or what do they do for a living? No, no. Um, I'm laughing only because I'm like, who knows where this came from? I'm sure they were like, what did we do? Where did she, what did we get ourselves into with this one? Um, <laughs> they, um, my mom was a, for my lifespan, not lifespan, uh, my like, you know, <laughs> um, being at home span um, was a stay at home mom. And mm-hmm. my dad was a grocery executive. So, okay. um, very just like 
still do love grocery stores. I'm not going to lie. Our, our family really is like heavy into the grocery. We love groceries. Uh, we love grocery shopping. My brother works at Whole Foods. He, my brother manages the Whole Foods. Like it's, we're still into it. But um, yeah, they, it really, I, we're not sure exactly where all of this comes from. I'm sure it's just back there in family history. And like, they did love mm-hmm pop culture. So I will say that much like that, that rings true to me. You know, we watch TV together, as I mentioned, and like listen to a lot of records in our house as well. And my mom like was the mom who would be listening to the pop radio station. Like she still kind of knows more pop music than I do sometimes, like, cause she really oh, listens wow. to the pop music stations. Yeah. Okay. And my dad, um, my dad had, I was just talking about this. Re- well, I guess I was talking about it because um, it was, the anniversary of his death recently. And um, oh, when I was doing my little, thank you. Thank you. It's what is it now? Three years, something like, yeah, I guess it's three years oh. already. Um, okay. And I, I did a, um, I did a, one of my songs on Facebook. I did a cover cover of Blondie's um, heart of glass because he, I have this very strong memory of when I was a kid, he loved to blast that in the mm-hmm. car um and he had really like he also you know is really the reason that w- we are all very into like paul simon for instance and willie nelson and so he had like he was he didn't have as wide a taste of music as my mother and he certainly didn't take in a lot of new stuff but he taught us about the beatles and paul simon and stuff like that so like right. it was there you know um but it's very funny because neither of them are particularly were ever particularly known for like performing or anything and you know my brother also has played in bands he plays in punk bands and stuff so like it comes from somewhere yeah <laughs> like, there you go okay where you know? <laughs> now is this the brother that also works at the whole that runs the whole foods yes yes i okay. have one brother and one sister Okay. And what about, what about your sister? What is, what is, what are some of her, what does she do for a living or what are some of her interests? Well, interestingly enough, um, (laughs) um, she is a costumer at the television show, Chicago Med. Oh, wow. Okay. Until, you know, until now when they're obviously shut down, production is shut down. But um, so she's in Nashville with her singer songwriter boyfriend, um, so it's all here. Nice. It's just, I'm laughing because yeah. it's not till you say this stuff out loud that you're like, oh my gosh, we're all like, we're, we all really are into all of this. Um, and the other thing about my sister that's relevant to this conversation, especially is just, so she's 10 years younger than I am, but we're really close and we text multiple times a day and we share a lot of fandoms together. We are particularly um, huge Britney Spears fans together. And, um, but really like a huge amount of our exchanges are like pop culture based. Like, did you see this? Did you know, like, whatever, did you see Britney's post or did you listen to this podcast or whatever? And, um, you know, so we all really share these pop culture bonds quite a bit. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So like you said, it's definitely in the family because you were interested in music. Your brother's interested in the, the punk scene. Your sister's a costumer. I'm sure there's, like you said, mm-hmm. extended family members that have their own, 
you know, niche, so to speak, and interests or maybe even involved in other stuff. So, yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Really cool, cool background stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, and it's funny because I don't, I mean, I kind of know it, but it's, I didn't really, like, think about it that much and put it together until we were just talking about it. Nice. Well, I'm glad hopefully that helped, you know, jog your memory <laughs> and, like you said, you know, so, you know solidify some of that stuff because that's really cool to think about mm-hmm. that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. all right, so, you know, let's start fast forward. And so let's, you know, like you said, you're definitely seeing yourself going down this path. Um, so let's fast forward to high school a little bit in terms of, like you said, into 90210 and that stuff. You were a cheerleader <laughs> in high school, I'm assuming? Yeah, I was. I was. Okay. All the way through high school. And then I finally, I gave it up before, I gave it up in college, but um, I was pretty in, like, I was into it. Like I coached wow, little girls okay. cheerleading and I, um, we were like a competitive-ish um, team, which is why I liked it. I was not particularly interested in the social aspects of it, but mm-hmm. um, I hung out with nerds, which is how I preferred it. But I um, liked the athleticism of, the, of it and I loved the dance stuff especially like the choreographed stuff and was very (laughs) one of my this is also like one of my big um feminist acts like I was very I was a big advocate for like competitive cheerleading and making sure that we had competitive you know like we had competitions Mm -hmm. to go to and stuff like that and because I didn't want to be just what you think of as like you know the sort of 1950s version of cheerleading where you're just like there to support the boys and you know that kind of right, thing. right so yeah I was really like into it but I wanted to make sure it was the right kind of cheerleading essentially and once again took charge <laughs> right and you know what that's in I wanted to bring this up and I think this is a good point to time to bring it up when did you get interested in feminism talking about that when you're bringing it into mm-hmm. this cheerleading thing you're you're saying I you just didn't want to work with some like recreational team. Like you want it to be competitive and make sure mm-hmm. that they're equal. So yeah. When did you get interested in feminism and was there a certain situation or, you know, what, yeah, what aspired you um, to be interested in it? I think it's amazing. I I'm totally on the same page with you. Um, I, I do look back and see these moments that I kind of laugh at, but also think were little tiny feminist acts like that. Um, you know, but even stuff when I look back on my quote column for the high school newspaper, um, there are times when I see it kind of jumping out, but I did not identify that way until like many people college. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I started, I'm not sure how or why, I guess I was just interested. I started taking some women's studies classes and I just took one on a whim and then loved it so much that it was like, you know, I look back at it with, a more sophisticated view and see that I think, you know, it's like I was taking a lot of English classes because I was a journalism major. And then you get to, if you take a women's studies class, all of a sudden all the readings about women, you know, and I think that I just liked that. Like, I think I just was like, this is so cool because it's so much, I don't have to read about like dudes and Greek tragedies or, you know, all of this white men literature that you read in, American, um, you know, um, sort of all of that. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. American yeah. literature, that kind of thing. So because um, where you get like you get your one little women or whatever, and then you move on. Um, I 
really loved that even if you, you know, I loved the theoretical stuff too in women's studies, but I just, I think I just loved reading about that, about women and also kind of, you know, it's, it's like, we all have these moments in college, I think, where you read some, some of the stuff and you go like, holy crap, like that, oh, this is what's been happening to me this whole time. Right, right, you know, right. And wow. You can right. put words to it. I really do, you know, and I probably because of my upbringing, I can remember really responding to things um, like the feminine mystique and um, all of that stuff, you know, and it's just like Betty Friedan uh like because i just went like oh my god i don't you know one thing that i think really hit me was oh i don't necessarily want to i like i had really big professional aspirations and was trying to reconcile that with sort of what i had been taught about um you know growing up and getting yourself a man and mm-hmm settling down and I kind of think I was already resisting some of that but this helped me understand why and it helped me understand my choices better and that was good for me because I was definitely raised in a fairly traditional you know mode and it's great that I had my mom at home all the time it really was it really was I was super close with my mom because of that and um you know, but I think that I was already getting confused about like, wait, do I have options? And, you know, I grew up in a, in a family where my, we've talked about this a lot. Like we kind of just joke about it. My grandmother who was a Russian immigrant and had her own reasons for saying stuff like this, you know, she, her big thing was always just like, if a man asked you to marry him, you say yes. That was oh. what she used to tell us. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Right. And you right. understand. Now I also yeah. can understand the other side of that of like that was her survival that's what she did to survive that was the only choice she had she had a fifth grade education so just you know kind of seeing all of these you know so those were my two sort of models at that time was my grandmother and then my mother who clearly would sort of say like okay that's ridiculous don't do that but had also gotten married when she was 21, 22, right out of college to my father and mm-hmm. went from her parents' house to her husband's house. So, you know, I think it right around college, which makes sense, right? I'm starting to go like, wait, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do when I get out of here? And starting to go like, maybe I don't want what my parents did exactly. And mm-hmm. this, I think women's studies really helped me to start figuring all of that out. And I'm I'm still figuring it out, but it it helps. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, and again, I'm just throwing this out there. Do you think at all at any point too, it sounds like your parents definitely had a a very nice relationship and they stayed together. Did you ever think just from the perspective of no times are different now? What if, you were married to someone and it didn't work out and now maybe you didn't have a career, you didn't have something to fall back on. Was that ever in the back of your mind? Like I want to be able to be independent and take care of myself and not have to worry about, you know what I mean? That type of perspective. For sure. And I, I mean, my okay. mom has even expressed the, some of this sense, you know, like she can see it now from the other side and like, mm-hmm. would she have necessarily made the same decisions? I don't know. Um, but she certainly can see how, for instance, 
you know, being completely financially dependent on a man for your whole life is not great. And that was something that I think I was registering on some level, mm-hmm. though I don't, I've never been good with finances. And I think particularly then, like when you're young and you had a reasonably comfortable upbringing, it's hard for right. you to fully conceptualize money and what it means. And, you know, we had started to have like some financial difficulties when I was in college. So I was hustling a lot to like pay for my college. But okay. um, besides that, like, you know, it was a fairly good upbringing. And so I don't know if I was thinking, I think I was thinking more independence in, in a general sense. And good. definitely by that time just knew I wanted to, like, there was no question, for instance, at this point, I was a journalism major, and I was at Northwestern, which is, like, a psychojournalism mm-hmm. school. Um, exactly. I mean that I as a compliment. That. <laughs> yeah, I mean that in a good way, but it's it's intense, and that's its whole point. Right. It very much prides itself on being this hardcore journalism school. And so, you know, by that time, I'm dumping, you know, <laughs> I get that now this sounds quaint, but it was, like, 25 grand a year on this thing and I'm at one of the top journalism schools where everyone is super competitive by this time I'm thinking well I'm definitely gonna you know get out of here and be some kind of superstar journalist and um, you know I was at that time dating my high I almost married my college sweetheart so I was dating the man I thought I was gonna marry and already knew, for instance, like, well, I'm not taking his name and I'm not, you know, like that kind of stuff, which at right. that time was kind of still like a statement. And yeah. we were having discussions about stuff like that. And so I, and I was trying to be careful. I was already aware that I was echoing my parents' life a little with, you know, falling in love with this man in college that I thought I was going to marry you know, it's already kind of like, oh, this is, you're doing what your parents did, so be careful. And so I think all of those things together, like, I was a little bit on alert, even though I was also madly in love at the time and, you know, did a lot sure. of things. moved yeah. halfway across the country to be with him and did all of this stuff at that time, but was also being, trying to, on some level, be cautious about it. Definitely, definitely. So, and we'll get into a little bit of, of that because I think when you moved eventually to New York with some of the research I did um, and your interest in sex in the city, and we'll kind of dive mm-hmm. into that in a little bit. But real quick, yes. when you said you were hustling at Northwestern to help, you know, pay mm-hmm. for some of the college, what types of jobs, what types of, you know, interesting things you were you maybe doing? Oh, yeah, I was, and I like, Again, this is where I was so type A. Like, my type A really exploded in college. It's, I guess it's sort of primed <laughs> to do that. Um, right. And, like, the, part of it, too, was just, like, I wasn't – I was really used to being top whatever. Like, I was – high school was top easy dog. for me. <laughs> yeah. Right. High school was easy for me. And I had a really good time in high school. Like, I had friends I loved. I had a boyfriend I loved. I – did activities I loved and I basically didn't have to show up for class and I would still like get good wow. grades. It was just, okay. it came easy to me, but, but don't worry. I got my <laughs> um, you know, I went to Northwestern and it's like the, the thing when you go to school like that is every kid there was that kid in their high school. And it was the first time that I really shocking, you know, I got a D my first quarter in one of my classes. Like it was a wake up call. 
Um, and I had to study a lot and I had to change everything and I kind of went into overdrive and then we were like, my parents were not quite doing as well financially and I had to step it up to stay there. And so I worked in the financial aid office, funnily enough, as my work study job. And that was great. I didn't do it on purpose, but that was great because I learned so much about, like, I knew how to, I don't want to say game the system, but I knew how it worked. And so I knew the forms to fill out. And I knew for one of the big things was I learned if you wrote a letter, like, a you know, with personal, with a personal plea to the committee who decided this stuff, it would help. So I did that right. every year. Um, nice. And in addition to that, which I loved that job, in addition to that, I um, worked I tried doing the student newspaper, but as I said, it's a psychojournalism school, and I found it too competitive um, mm-hmm. working on a paper with your classmates at Northwestern. At least at that time, I found, like, a, this cutthroat atmosphere of, like, people wouldn't share their sources with you, even though you were on the same newspaper staff. Um, gotcha. So, you know, so I actually worked for local newspapers instead, professional ones that paid me. Oh, nice. And how do you, and how do you, yeah. just out of curiosity, how do you go about landing that? You just show them a sample of your writing and. Uh, yeah, it's hard to fully remember, but I actually think this is so weird because there were so many other times I rolled my eyes when my dad was like, you should do this. And I was like, you're not a journalist. You don't know things. Um, but he was totally right. One summer he was like, why don't you just write letters to the local newspapers and ask to write for them? And I did, and it worked. And I mean, you know, you have to understand like, they were probably thrilled because they were like, great, we have this um, water administration board meeting that you need somebody to go to. So go right. knock yourself right. out. So like, that was the kind of thing I did for them. And one of my big jobs was I would go to the local mall and ask people, this is like, I don't know if there's any equivalent now, I guess we don't need it because there's social media, but like in the newspaper, there would be this thing where it'd be like a photo of somebody and you'd ask them a socially relevant question and you'd get a pithy, just a rant, like man on the street type thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you would just be like, who do you think is going to win the Olympics or what do you think of this? It's a, probably a terrible technique, especially with complicated issues, but this is what I did. And okay. um, yeah. Yeah. So I would go to a lot of um, local bore, terrible, boring local administrative meetings and, you know, ask, man on the street questions at the mall like things no one else would want to do they would let an 18 year old girl do and so and I get paid <laughs> which was nice you know that yeah. is the advantage of that is that I was and, and also, by the way I should you're also getting your feet wet so to speak even if it's like you said oh, boring stuff it's getting you out there completely. Um, that's yeah. that's the thing is like I'm thinking about going out and asking these man on the street things it's incredible training because you have to just go up to strangers. Mm-hmm. You just have to get over it or you're not making your money, you know? So you have to just get over your fear of anything and just walk up to strangers and say, Hey, can I ask you a question? I'm from the Joliet Herald news, you know? And yeah. I got great training really fast because of that. And then they started letting me, some of these places started letting me like go review concerts and stuff, which was pretty dope in college. Yeah. Like I was, I went to a lot of good arena, you know, I went to REM and PJ Harvey and Sarah McLaughlin and all of this stuff. This is such a like 90s time capsule here. But 
um, it was it was pretty cool. So I was going to free concerts, you know, so I have a lot of memories of I don't have a lot of cool like I wasn't I didn't have like a super fun time in college. Um, you know what I mean? Like the traditional yeah. like going to parties and stuff. But I have a lot of fun, like good memories of getting into my little car and going out to cover a concert and coming back and, you know, it was early internet and it was like pretty big deal that you could, we started being able to just like email our reviews in that night. And that was cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And like you said, I think you made a good point that college was a little bit different in terms of, you know, again, stepping it up because it wasn't as easy as high school. So you really were kind of buckling mm-hmm. down on numerous levels to A, do well educationally, B, financially support yourself and, and get the degree. Um, but you still had some mm-hmm. cool stuff going on. But would you say you were someone who, if you reflect back now, did you miss out on going to parties? Were you someone who really would have enjoyed that atmosphere? Or I know you say you're also like, again, you love to be the center of attention and do performances, but you also like to be more of an introvert, do your writing. So is that something, again, that you would have did more if you had the opportunity? I don't know if I would have done it more, but in retrospect, I wish I had enjoyed it in some way a little bit more. I wish I had let loose a little bit more because I ended up not, not really having like I there's I have a period of my life that you sort of referenced that I wrote about in the beginning of um, my Sex in the City book that I consider my delayed adolescence or really my delayed college um, because I never like I didn't drink till I was actually 21 as one example mm-hmm. like on my 21st birthday I went to the chain restaurant Chi Chi's and had a margarita <laughs> right and that is me drinking at that time like and I'm not saying you should go out and get plastered and like do terrible things right but somewhere in between you have to like I you know didn't drink till I was 21 and I had my high school boyfriend is now my gay best friend and then I I went from him to the man I thought I was going to marry and I was with that man for 10 years so like not a lot of super fun time not a lot of like getting right. out my whatever you want to say like I hadn't had that time of just like doing making mistakes and doing you know the mm-hmm. right kind of you know little mistakes and letting loose I was really like very buttoned up and like in under everything was under control at that time. Like I said, I don't think I wanted something else at that time. So that's Mm -hmm. why partly why that didn't happen. But um, in retrospect, like by the time I was 30, I was like, God, I wish I had, you know, the part of the reason I probably didn't get married to that person among others was that I got to New York city and looked around and went like, Oh, there's a bunch (laughs) of fun things to do that I haven't done yet. Right, right. So, yeah, so tie in. So we're talking about, again, a little bit of the jobs you had while you're in college. Um, So after you graduate college, let's delve into Mm -hmm. a little bit of your history in terms of getting your feet wet, so to speak, more before you start, you know, really getting into getting these publishing deals and writing these books. Um, So you graduate. Was your first job at the Daily Pilot? Was that the first job as a reporter? Essentially, I had one little weird job before that that I got out of as soon as possible. And so the first major one is the Daily Pilot in Newport Beach, California. Um, oh, okay. My my ex 
that I was talking about, he was in the Navy, and so he and he was a year older than I was. So he was already out in Southern California, stationed gotcha. in San Diego. So that's okay. Why that so then, happened. like, he moved it's, out there, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty. It was it was hard, but I'm pretty grateful for it because I did get to live in Southern California for four years. Nice, nice. So what, really quick, just, you know, a bullet or two, what did you do at the Daily Pilot as a reporter? What were types of, <laughs> some of the types of journalism you were covering there? Oh, so wonderful. Um, it was so hard, but in <laughs> retrospect, I'm like, oh. Um, I, so this Daily Paper, there was a staff of only four, four very young people. And we really, we didn't use any other stuff except our own in the paper, which is to say I was writing like four stories a day. Oh, wow. Okay. To fill this paper, like you, there was no time to think. You just were like reporting and typing constantly. It was very stressful, and um, so I covered Newport Beach, and it was it was a continuation of kind of what I was talking about. Like I had now had this training in covering like local governments and stuff. So it was mostly local government type stuff, and then you'd also have occasional fun features, which was my favorite thing when I could do a more kind of lifestyley thing and it was a it's a, one of the wealthiest places in the country mm-hmm. so um there's there's an element of that there's a lot of you know there's a lot of meeting people on their yachts for interviews and um there's some fun things that go on because rich people do fun things and so what were some of the things festivals. that you yeah, just to highlight a couple of the fun yeah, things like, you did on the Fun yeah. festi- like there were definitely just a lot of like festivals and things and occasional occasionally semi-famous people would come through that you'd get to interview um I interviewed Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers who lived there a lot of like old you know older um entertainers even end up right there because it's beautiful and it's a little bit it's near LA, but it's not near LA. So it's in Orange County, California. So mm-hmm. um, one of the funniest things that I was recently reminded of was that Dennis Rodman of the Chicago Bulls moved there during the time I was covering it. So like he, I was basically on the Dennis Rodman beat. Um, I did a whole story that was just like going to the places that Dennis Rodman was said to frequent. <laughs> nice. Right. You know, that kind of thing. We called it searching right. for Dennis Rodman. And hilariously, the the fun part of the story is that I wrote that piece kind of not really intending to find him. You know what I mean? Like, it was it, cool if I did. But it was more about, like, why did Dennis Rodman move here? What does he do when he's here? I interviewed bartenders who knew him and stuff. And then it was a cute story. And then my parents came into town from the Chicago suburbs. My mother calls me from a payphone less than 24 hours after they arrived, she calls me at work and she says, we're at Mimi's cafe and Dennis Rodman is here. Oh my gosh. And I was like, Oh, which by the way, it's the most like benign, boring restaurant ever. They had, they were known for their muffins. Um, (laughs) So I was like, I guess I, so I, I interrupted the, the editor's meeting actually. And I just like walked in and said, Dennis Rodman is at Mimi's cafe with my mom. I'm going to go. And they were like, cool. And I went over and I talked to him for like five seconds. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Wow. And but that what a roundabout of events. That is so funny. Yeah, it was really, really funny. So, I mean, they basically, you know, mostly blew me off. Like he's there with all of his entourage. And I mean, I can't believe I walked right up to them. This is another time where I'm just like, what? Um, walked right up to them. 
little white girl. It's like, hey, I think I tried to play the Chicago card. And they were like, oh, yeah, he said like one or two things. Like, I just asked him, like, what is it like to be in Newport Beach? And he was like, oh, I just really like it. It's really cool. It's this totally boring quote. And then they were basically like, you need to call his publicist if you want to talk to him. And of course, the publicist was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that but that's so so cool. But and like story. you said, there's that yeah. there's a assertive quality, you know, that confidence of just mm-hmm. marching up to them and you know seeing what you can get. And uh, no, it's yeah. great. Yeah, great. and I I just was watching the Last Dance recently that everyone was watching the Michael Jordan uh, Bulls documentary and was like, oh my god, I just remembered that this happened. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, definitely. So. So again, we'll we'll just kind of hit some highlights so we can get into your book. Mm-hmm. Um, then you eventually was this also in California because I don't know. I apologize, I don't know the specific location. Okay. But you also worked sure. for a couple years at the Press Enterprise. You were at Condé Nast. Mm-hmm. Um, were those mm-hmm. also out there? So the Press Enterprise is was just like a little step up. It's like a, a medium sized, pretty decent sized um, regional newspaper, um, less mm-hmm. glamorous. So um, had to move inland. So just imagine it's Southern California and how everything's on the coast. And I had to move like yep. 60 miles inland into the desert where nothing oh, glamorous is. Right. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a little bit of a, a change, but it was going to be a lot more money and a much better publication. And at least I, I had to write like one story a day by that point, you nice. know, Um so both of these are just, were just such incredible learning experiences. That's the one thing I have to say about them is like, I don't know how much this is available to people at this point. You know, local newspapers are not quite I know. existing for the most part. Right. But whatever the equivalent is, like, I'm real. it was so stressful, but I'm really grateful for it now because it it's really all the things we've been talking about. I didn't have the luxury of questioning. Can I go up to this person? Can I, I didn't have time. I had to, you know, I had to make my living. And so I just learned to, and granted, I've regressed a lot in this manner um, because of the luxuries I have now. Now I'm like, I don't want to call that person. But at the time, it was just like, I didn't even think about it. I could just call up anybody, go up to anybody, ask them anything because I had to. And I learned to do that. And I learned to just report in a real way. (laughs) And that has served me very, very well in everything I've done since. Right, right. That's no, that's great. Like you said, the experiences definitely set the stage for you know the path you were definitely going to be getting mm-hmm. down. Um, and then Condé Nast was that also out in in the similar well, area? Or? No, Condé Nast is is the the company that does that makes like Vogue and stuff. You know, the big magazine oh, okay. company. Um, yeah, so they used to be bigger, but um, slowly disintegrating like everything. But that's like allure and glamour and vogue and the new yorker and stuff so that was just like a place that was a weird blip weird but important blip is that um so i moved so i was still with my ex and we moved to new york at first we moved back to chicago which we don't need to get into briefly okay and then um from southern california briefly to chicago for like a year he went to grad school and then um we moved to new york together with the intention of like, okay, this is it. We're like moving to New York now. We both have done all of the things we need to, you know, done the schooling. Mm -hmm. He's out of the Navy. 
we're going to get jobs in New York. We both, you know, he was in marketing, so it made sense. We're like, I really wanted to be at, I didn't want to do newspapers anymore. I was already getting out of newspapers. And so, cause it's just a slog as I've been talking about. And right. I really always wanted to be writing big, meaty, beautiful features somewhere. Preferably. I loved magazines, which makes me sad now. Cause I loved like, I know magazines. I have to, and I have to say right? for when I, when I work out on the treadmill, my biggest thing was my glamour magazine, like you said, and they Glamour eventually went out of print, and I was so devastated. They sent me a roar one time in replaced of it, and I said, where's the Glamour? And they sent, like, a note saying, we're going to continue the rest of your Glamour subscription with this. Oh. And I was just, like, devastated because I am old school. I like to pick up a book. I like yep. to pick up a magazine. I like that. Yeah. Um, yep. And I'm really disappointed that. and sad with some of this stuff. Yeah. So go on. I know. I know. I really, really loved that. And that was, like, kind of my ultimate I mean I, I did want to be an author like my ideas were basically like I want to be an author and write for magazines which like I got as you know I'm as close as you can get to that now mm-hmm. um so I that was our big it's like I had kind of followed him all around the country and that's fine and I had all these formative jobs but it kind of got to this point of like we picked New York because he could get a marketing job obviously in New York and I could finally try to be at a consumer magazine, you know, right. um, this is the place. And at that time they still made those and this was still true. So, um, and it really made a difference being here. You know, you could sort of just, you couldn't get a job in New York magazines until you were here. And so um, we moved here. I didn't have a job when we moved. He did. And uh, we were actually living in New Jersey not really, it doesn't really matter right outside the city. And um, the first I mean, I actually worked at a mall briefly in New Jersey because I had something. And I worked okay. at Express. Ex- nice. At Express in the Paramus Mall. Um, okay. And then uh, that was not going to be good for very long for me. And uh, while I was doing that, I was just applying everywhere. And um, I think I got that Condé Nast job, if I'm getting this right. There was a staffing agency that was I found out was known for staffing the big magazine companies and I specifically went to them and like did their whole rigmarole, just like typing tests and stuff. Um, did all of that. And just, but mm-hmm. you could fill out a form that said you only were, would accept assignments from certain, you know, you could say, I basically I'll only accept assignments from Condé Nast. And that's what okay. I did is like, you know, no, I'm not going to go to the animal agency. No, I'm not going to, you know, she was like, it was like, right. I know you staff Condé Nast. That's what I'm waiting for. And so I got, they staffed me at this kind of weird job. Um, it was very of its time. It was 2001. And um, I was helping to bring all of their print content of their magazines onto the internet. Okay. So, they would like, I don't know what they were doing. They were scanning them or something, but you can understand how like scans come through mostly intact, but sometimes in gibberish. Right. And so I was, I was called a copy editor, but really what I was doing is like very basic quality control of like looking at these and seeing like what went wrong and fixing what went wrong and then importing them into the content management system that they were going to use to have an internet. (laughs) Okay. Right. Right. Like presence, 
And it was great, actually. I remember just sitting there, like, listening to music a lot because it's not, like, high, high-level stuff. Just sitting there, listening to my headphones and um, doing this stuff and working with really smart, great people in this beautiful building that Anna Wintour wow. worked into. And um, waiting. And just basically the other nice thing about that was they knew I was applying for real jobs um, and would let me go do interviews when I needed to. And I was, you know, in the, like, because all the magazines were near each other, you know, I could just walk to most of my um, interviews that I would get. And so that allowed me the time to, I remember very clearly walking up Broadway to my interviews at Entertainment Weekly from that job. And that is when I eventually got like the job that would change my life. Yeah. And let's, let's, let's now uh, transition into that. So how, tell us the story about, yeah, tell us the story just a bit behind that because you worked with them for pretty much a decade. Um, so just, yeah, share with us a little bit of that. Yeah, that was really great. I mean, it, like I said, I, there's no other way to say it. It's, you know, I think most people have this, the job that changed their lives and this was that for me. Um, you know, I, I, it was always a dream job. I remember telling my, um, college advisor when he asked me I hadn't really thought about it till I said it out loud to him but he pressed me like well said, I said magazines and he said well what and I was like well I don't know I don't know if I could work at like entertainment weekly or something but that's what I would want um so you know it happened and I just you know given all the experiences I've told you about it's not a surprise I, lo- I was a huge fan and loved all you know it was very much like the tv guide but forever for movies and music and tv and mm-hmm. everything and I just loved that it was the only magazine at the time that had smart analysis of pop culture that didn't get caught up in people's personal lives. Okay. Um, it's a very, it's, it's actually like, if you want to upset probably entertainment weekly veterans to this day, it's like the way you can upset us is by thinking we worked at like people magazine or, right. you know, some gossip right. or us weekly. Right. Um, it's very funny. We would get very defensive. Like if there's certain of us, especially that if you would ask one of us, like, but what's really like going on with Angelina Jolie? And we'd be like, that's not what we do. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No, that's understandable. Very I never, and again, I read some magazines, but it's like, I wouldn't know that type of mm-hmm. detail about that. So that's cool. And I, right. I respect that. Right. I mean, because there's so many people in this industry, like you're, you know, not that we're saying that, but that are more interested in the gossip and the drama versus actually, you know, talking about what's real and, and genuine about these people. Um, so, right, yeah, no, the that's work. a good point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and of course, exactly. like, it gets a little mushy at times. Like, I'm not saying we never, like, of course, we had to eventually talk about, like, the Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt thing because they did a movie together. But it, we wouldn't, we would not, that was the rules. Like, you would not go there unless it came into the work was kind of mm-hmm. the way that we approached it. And, if, you know, of course, if you're doing a big, juicy profile of someone, some of the stuff's going to come into it. But it really was not supposed to. The real focus was, is this a good piece of work or not? Why or why not? What are the, what's the backstory? You know, all of that. Yep. And it really was yep. just, I mean, for most of the time I was there, it was an it, beyond a dream job. Um, I got there in 2002 and it was still pretty like pushy 
it, especially in retrospect. You know, it was still really just putting out a weekly magazine, um, by which I mean we were not trying to fill the entire Internet all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, like, one guy in the corner, really, for real, who would be, like, typing things into the Internet for us. And that was like it. So weekly magazine, that felt like, and the monthly people were like, how did you, how can you keep up with that weekly schedule? Um, But it just was like, you do one, you know, most of the time you'd be working on like one or two things any given week. I started as an assistant. I started as the news and notes assistant and um, eventually moved to be the, there's like each section is its own little fiefdom, really each genre. So it's like, okay, you, you, you usually pick a major eventually is how I explain it. It's pretty hard to stay enough on top of all of music and all of TV, for instance. Right. So you end up an expert in one, even though I, as we've talked about, like, for instance, I could have easily seen myself going the music route, but, Mm -hmm. um, the music nerds are hardcore is what I'd also say. I, I wasn't quite <laughs> there. Like they were very like, you know, the movie and book high fidelity, you know, that, that kind right. of like super nerd, like snooty. Why don't you right. know this one obscure band kind of thing? Um, right. Which is fine. We love them for it. That's great. So um, I eventually ended up moving to the TV department as an assistant and um you know, I was a little older than some of the assistants there. A lot of them were coming straight out of college. And so I think I had the advantage of just sheer age and experience um, and kind of really in the, the type A thing that we are, have been talking about. And so I did pretty well and my boss loved me and I was really lucky for that. And so I ended up like writing a cover story as a, as an assistant, which was unusual. Um, I wrote my first cover story about, Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson. Okay. When they had their their um, reality show Newlyweds in whatever uh-huh. the two thousands yeah. two thousand five something like that um, four five four I think actually and um, that was great and so it was really really fun I cannot complain it was going wow. to meetings and just like with the people who knew the most the people in the room were just people who knew the most about this one thing, you know, the guy who knows everything about all of Disney, the, you know, whatever, any of that yeah. stuff. It was yeah. just astonishing to be in these meetings. They were, it was like a dream. Like I used to be the one person who knew bizarre facts about boy bands or whatever. And now I'm with these people who know everything and everybody's right. debating, like, you know, you'd have very intense debates about like, who the best sidekick on television of all time was. Wow. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Like, did you ever it was did you ever feel intimidated? Yeah. Very yeah. when I first got there. Yeah. Very okay. You know. Um and I know, you know, we've had all these stories about me being bold, but I was pretty I it was like going to Northwestern. It was like that moment right. of, oh, crap, I'm not the person anymore. I'm not special anymore. I used to be that special person who knew all the pop culture stuff at the party. 
And then here I was with these people saying stuff where I would like pretend I knew what they were talking, you know what I mean? Well, the clash Mm -hmm. is really the ones who did. And I'd be like, yes, the clash. And then I'd go back to my computer and like Google, Um, you know, it would just be that kind of at first, especially I was pretty intimidated in those meetings and did not speak up as much as I probably should have, because I just thought, oh my God, what's, you know, what do I have to offer here? And so it took a while, but I, you know, I developed niches and that's what people do there. They would sort of, you know, you have the niche within the niche. It's not just TV. That's how specialized it is at places like that too. It's like you get to the TV department and then you start to work, you start to figure out, like I was, you know, one of my first uh, other cover stories was um, the OC. So teen drama. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I really got, I did. Oh, so, and I was so, that was a dream, dream, dream. Like that was, I was one of the first on the set and I was there for like three days and, oh God, that was, and I'm like staying at a posh hotel in Southern California. It was, it was really good. It was really, really fun. Um, Yeah. So I just started to find what I could do that no one else could do as well. And that really helped because then you, then you feel like you have something to contribute. And so I did a lot of teen and even I was covered like the tween explosion. So like Nickelodeon mm-hmm. and Disney channels, the, this was Miley Cyrus, um, Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez coming up era times. So, right. Right. Yeah. So I did a lot of stuff about that. I was at, I really was, at Selena Gomez's apartment with her and her mom, like two days after she moved to California to become a star. Um, oh my gosh. What was that like? They were still, <laughs> it was crazy. It's crazy. I still remember it. I they were like unpacking and um, she was eating Chinese food and I was doing this really cool story, honestly, about um, it was about the Disney like machine essentially. And so mm-hmm. I was following like a couple different kids who were at different stages of the machine. So she was the one they chose for me. I said, get me somebody you think, you know, who you just gave a show to, who you think is going to be a star. And she was the starting out one. And I actually have a memory of her saying to her mom, like, when is Demi getting here? Which is to say Demi Lovato. Um, (laughs) Like she was moving (laughs) from Texas to be there. So um, yeah. Yeah, it was really, really fun. Um, I was on the set of I one of my favorite stories too was that I did a story on Degrassi. Oh and yeah. The the you know, and um I, yeah, I remember true. I don't think I saw a ton of it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Are you talking about the original so one or the no, one I, I guess mean, when they redid it? Yeah, the, this was then yeah. so this was the next okay. generation is what it was technically right. called. Um, so I went to Canada for like a week and hung out oh at Degrassi gosh. and like the, the cool takeaway story from that is I really did sit on like the steps of Degrassi with Drake, except he was <laughs> known as Aubrey Graham then. <laughs> nice. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I had a, you know, so I did cool. that and I, I did Grey's Anatomy and I, that was like the, you know, the rise and height of Grey's Anatomy and really what led to the sort of next phase of my career is that I wrote a lot about women in comedy, feminist comedy, and um, Tina Fey. That was the rise of Tina Fey. That was when she was doing, like, um, she was transitioning from head writer of SNL to 30 Rock, and she was playing Sarah Palin. 
Yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Love her. Absolutely love her. Um, so you're eventually, you're there for about a decade. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, so, cause so we, we can get into your, you know, the main, main book. Cause again, you're, you're more than welcome back on another time and we could, you know, we could pick one topic and just <laughs> We've done like you do here. with your career. We'll just delve into that. But you know, I want to, I want to highlight a couple of other things that were interesting that I didn't know about as I started to, again, do the research about your books. Cause I was familiar with, of course, you know, the main books you did, Mary Tyler Bourne, the science Falls, and sex in the city. So just share with us a little bit about, you know, what led to you, transitioning out and the first book that you wrote was on the Mickey Mouse Club was that still while you were at Entertainment Weekly or were you transitioning out at that point and then doing more like you would say maybe freelance writing on the side and focusing more on books yeah that was actually the transition um it was a fluke I mean as I mentioned I always wanted I really did always want to write books like if you'd asked me when I was a kid Journalism was mm-hmm. cool, but I saw it as a practical way to, ha, 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 make money. Um, it's hilarious now. But at the time, I thought, like, oh, that's like a job. Like, I can do that all the time. So that's why I became a journalist, was so I could write professionally and make um, Right. So when I was at EW, like, I had this, we don't need to get into this, but the point is, I had always wanted to write books. I had written a whole novel that didn't get published. Like, I had an agent. We tried. It didn't happen. I'm glad in retrospect. Okay. Anyway, um, but I was, like, into this, and I was very heavy, like, as I was, you know, having my rebellion and leaving my fiancé and all of that. A big part of that was that I was hanging out in kind of the literary, the young New York literary scene, um, by which I mean the super grungy one where you just go to, like, crappy bars and listen to terrible readings, but I loved it. And okay. that's where I made a, a lot of my friends who I still have now, between Entertainment Weekly and that, that was kind of where all my friends came from. And so I really wanted to write books. That is the point. And um, while I was at EW, an agent approached me. This was after I tried to sell the novel and it didn't work. And um, agent approached me because she actually read an essay I wrote about canceling my wedding and asked me if I wanted representation. I was like, well, I technically have it, but it's not going well. Like this didn't work and I don't know what to do now. And so we met. And she was like, well, if we figure out something to work on together, then we'll worry about this other agent that, you know, had been kind of long dormant, mm-hmm. like a couple of years had gone by and we had not, you know, it was just like still technically contractually obligated to this person. So a right. um, couple weeks later, this agent calls me and she's like, I would love when a call starts with, you can totally say no. Um, but that's what she said. <laughs> and okay. I was like, cool, good start. Um and so anyway, she had heard, she had had lunch with an editor who said that they were looking for someone, and this is at a major publisher, this is Grand Central Publishing, um, yeah. who said she was looking for someone to write a book about the Mickey Mouse Club. And this was one of those in-house, this happens, like where they just have meetings and they talk about like, we should do this. Let's find okay. an author. So, you know, she's a young editor and, a good, and her publisher wanted to do this. So, like, her boss's boss's boss. It was his idea. Because he was a big fan of the 1950s Mickey Mouse Club because he was an older gentleman. Okay. And, um, you know, so she had mentioned it to my agent at the time, Nicole, and Nicole was like, would this be something you would do? And I was like, let me – she didn't even know that I had been writing about, like, the Disney Channel and stuff. She just was like, this is stupid. You probably don't want to do it. And I was like, let me send you some clips. 
And so I sent her all these clips and stuff I had done about Disney, current Disney. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I feel like I should do this. Like I'm not, I wasn't alive in the fifties, but I think I can figure it out, you know? Sure. Um, Sure. Right. Like it's still child stars. It's still Disney. Like I've always loved Disney stuff anyway and knew a lot about it. So great. Um, Also just, it's a major publisher offering a deal. Yeah. Like I wow. was, gonna, do you know what I mean? It could have been something far, right. <laughs> farther from my wheelhouse. And I would have been home Googling it and being like, what is this? Let's figure it out. Um, right. So that's how that happened is that it's a funny wow. thing because you could see, you know, it's like I was born in the seventies. So you could sort of see in people's eyes when I would tell them what I was working on, you could see them kind of trying to figure out how to ask like, but why? Um, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> right. um, but it, it was a done deal. So, you know, it wasn't a done deal. I had to sort of audition. I had to write like an outline and whatever to basically show them what I would do. And so right. I did some research. I put that together. We did the deal. It was pretty weird. It was just a fluke. It was a good deal. Um, they paid a really decent amount of money. It was like a six figure deal. And wow. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. And by the way, I like to I like to be pretty transparent about money in publishing for my own right. reasons. No, I think sure. it's important for people to know this. And so the way I always say this is it was six figures, but it was the lowest you can be at be six right. figures if you get my drift. <laughs> um yeah. it was a hundred K. Um but like I how could I wow. possibly it was such a strange turn of events that all of a sudden a major publisher was gonna give me a hundred thousand dollars to write about I was like, I will figure out who what happened on the nineteen fifties Mickey Mouse Club. Mouse so right. um yeah, so I just I did that book. I did it while I was working. It was very hard. It was one of the hardest professional years of my life, just surely in terms of like workload. Because right. what happened was at the same time the recession hit and we cut something like I at least a quarter, somewhere between a quarter and half of our staff at EW. And wow. suddenly we, you know, when I had signed the deal, we still had a thing where you could take a, a three month sabbatical to write a book mm-hmm. that was gone. I can assure you. Um, right. I remember asking my boss at the time about it. I was like, is that still, he's like, I can't guarantee you'll have a job. If you when you come right, back and take it, and I was like, cool, right. got it. Um, so I did both, and that meant that I wrote my book at night. I wrote my book on weekends. I wrote my book on. I took vacation time to write my book, and then at work mm-hmm. I wrote. Um, so it was just. It was of course this was very lucky, and I knew this, and I you know it just I there was definitely a time when I was glad I had no personal life because I would have not had one, you know, I would have ruined it if right. I had one. So a um, lot of, lot of, got out of a lot of dates that way. It was a lot of just like, I'm really just too busy for this and wrote that book. And the nice thing about that book was that when I was done, there were, I was a very big learning experience, which is, you know, co- always code for some things. There were some bumps. Um, sure. We all right. learned some things. And, you know, it was a situation where it was like, I was a first time author, my editor was pretty young, and my agent, actually, I was only her second client. So a lot of the the blinds leading the blind. Um, We got through it. And I think it turned out okay. 
And um, the cool thing about that is when I was done, I thought, oh, what if I, I never thought about writing a book like that, that you could pick a show right. and write a book about it. So that was the big revelation to me is like, what if I did this about a show I was passionate about? That would be incredible because this was very hard. And it was mostly because I didn't know the show going in, had a lot to learn. I wasn't alive then. And right. on top of which, when right. we went to market it, I had no idea how to market it because I'm not that I'm not its target audience. So that was when I learned like, Oh, this would be so cool if I did it about something I was really into. Cause also you're researching it for a year. And then if it goes well, you're also talking about it for years. So that is how the Mary Tyler Moore show book came about is thinking, what is the show that I can do this with that I'd be super stoked about. And that was mm-hmm. one of my options. And when I researched it, I felt like, yeah. And really quick, just what a cool, you know, like you said, just that moment, you just, you took this deal for a variety of different reasons. Um, But then you have this revelation of, oh, I can do this in other areas that are more meaningful Mm -hmm. to me. And it's really interesting when you think about the next book you choose, which is Mary Tyler Moore, because A, it had this kind of nostalgic feeling just because it had to do with your family growing up. You know, so I mean, yep. there's that element to it. You just loved it in general. There's this feminist aspect of this mm-hmm. independent divorced woman with the career. And, you know, it's just such a cool culmination of so many aspects of you. Um, so go on. But it was just yeah. cool to kind of bring yeah, all that that's together. Yeah, exactly it. That's exactly it. It was, it was like, I mean, I probably didn't sit down and think all of that through even. It's just that's what happens when you're, you know, I guess when you have an idea, it's, it's going to be the culmination of you. Um, but yeah, that's, it really, and I had learned some things along the way, just writing that other book that have informed everything else I did, you know, in terms of just the main thing that I always say, because people love to now just spout the names of TV shows to me, you know, they're like, you should do the Big Bang Theory. Um, and I can actually, like, I don't do this because no one wants to hear it, but I can actually explain most of, most of the time I can explain to you why that won't work. Um, but cause you have to have a story to tell for 300 pages, you know, right, and right. that was, that was something I really learned from writing that Mickey Mouse club book because I hadn't thought about it beforehand. And, um, this time I was like, I'm going to have a story to tell. I'm going to make sure there's a way for me to get the information I need. And so I kind of knew what to check out and wrote a proposal, um, had to get a new agent because the other agent, um, left the business that was not for her. And um, that's okay because I ended up with the agent that I now have with this was the first book that we did together. And um, I have the best agent ever. So that's why that's good. Uh, It Mm -hmm. was, you know, I think it makes sense too. It's like for the reasons we're talking about, like this is a passion project. And so to get the agent that responds to your passion project means you probably have an affinity for each other, you know? Yeah, um, and you and you need that and, connection too. I mean, that's so right. important. It's super, super important because I, when my other agent left the business, she technically I like became her boss's client. And at first, I thought okay. that's great because this is a super powerful agent. And then it turned out like it's not great because she didn't pick me; she just inherited oh. me, and she didn't really gotcha. care, you know. Which is fine. It's totally understandable. It's just that it didn't mm-hmm. occur to me until a few months in. I was like, 
why is nothing happening with this, you know, proposal? She doesn't want to do any work on me because she is not. Got this new agent. Thank goodness. She is the best. And the exact correct, she's huge into pop culture and um, also just really good at her job and also really good at taking care of her clients. So all the things. And um, we've had a really good time together since. And she sold that book. And that was such, that was the book that changed my life after Entertainment Weekly was the job that changed my life because, you know, coincidentally enough, it was the book that allowed me to just quit my dream job, uh, which had sort of, as happens, started to wear on me a little bit over time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, things had changed a lot in in those years that I was there. And it was, I mean, of course, it was still great compared to a lot of jobs, but it, it had gotten pretty grueling you know like I said the internet came about in that time and we cut staff and so it was a lot different it was a grind and it was it was starting to make me not like the things that I was passionate about and that was not good you know right no it was was not great and so I had also learned with the last book that doing a book and working full-time was not conducive to writing a great book Mm -hmm. and so I had this idea that I had to quit my job, but that meant I had to make a certain amount of money on the next book. And sure. I did not tell my, I did not tell my agent this. She did not know that the stakes were as high as, as they were, but um, I felt like I might have to say no if we didn't get enough money, which would have been hard, wow. but right. um, it happened. I, we, we ended up going to auction with it and, um, I was very, very lucky and was uh, picked up by John Carpet, Simon & Schuster, who was a huge yep. Mary Tyler Moore Show fan. And nice. um, he he is the publisher there, and he liked the idea, so that was great because he's like the top guy and was also able to throw his checkbook around a little bit and get us mm-hmm. enough money. So that was very nice, and I got to work directly with him for that one, and it was such a learning experience and I always say I like learned to write a book when I wrote that book and it was just it was great that's great yeah I mean what an amazing story just like you said getting hooked up with him and Simon and Schuster which is just like you said one of the top if not top publishing companies um so yeah that's great that's great well congrats with all that um and then of course you continued to stay with Simon and Schuster when you wrote Seinfeldia, right? Because they were also mm-hmm. that book was also published with them, right? Um, yeah. And just 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 a bullet so we can jump into that real mm-hmm. quick. Sex in the City, and then get to Pop Star Goddesses with Seinfeld. I'm assuming you were a huge fan. Yes, but the way I always say that, I always have it feels for some reason like I need to give a caveat, which is that I feel like everyone was a fan. If you were like, if you were a TV fan of that time it was, it was sort of non-negotiable. Like, of course, there's a couple people who will love to tell you that they don't think it's that great, but right. most people watch, like it was must watch. It was right. essential. <laughs> you went home on Thursday night to watch this thing because if you didn't on Friday, everybody is going to be saying something that you didn't and understand. You're not what they're no talking about. You. And you're right. going to be like, ha ha, I don't know what that is. Um, yeah. So, and, and as we've established, like one of my favorite things in the world is just 
I love a huge cultural phenomenon and I love investigating like why was everyone into this thing, especially something like Seinfeld where everybody behind the scenes sort of thought no one was going to like it. Like they really didn't think it was going to be a mainstream hit. And so I love figuring out why why tons of people are into certain things. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, again, I don't want to give it away, but in your book where you start out, you're talking about, I mean, talk about challenges and bumps in the road for, you know, Larry and Jerry. I mean, it was thought at one point it was never going to even get off the ground. I mean, so it's just, again, I just highly recommend people buy it. And I I think I should be one of your marketing people because I can't tell you how many people I've gotten to buy that book because I've pitched it to so many people. And then they've come back and said, oh, my gosh. And um, we could talk off the air because I don't want to talk about my career, so to speak, on the air. But even a couple people in in my profession that I've said that I've run across mm-hmm. being Seinfeld fans and said, did you hear about it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, you got to buy it. So, um, uh, yeah. So, anyway, it's so great. I mean, what a, what a phenomenal yeah. job you did and what a great book. It's really, it, it was, I mean, to me, it was like everything we've talked about. It's like sort of the culmination, right? And it was definitely, it's like clearly the right show for a book. Um, mm-hmm. It had a story to tell and it hit with a lot of people as you're talking about. Like people clearly wanted to read a book about Seinfeld. And I'm very grateful for that. That was That was such a just nice confluence of everything. And I'm very interested in, things like fandom and this has such a rabid fandom and that's sort of how I start the book is talking about it's enduring fandom and how weird it is. It's a weird, you know what I mean? Like it's one of those things where if you step back, it's like kind of weird that there's this guy who still goes around just saying no soup for you to people at conventions and they're all thrilled and he makes his living that way. Um, (laughs) You know, and I, I love stuff like that. So it was so fun and it's, it really is. I mean, I don't, it's, it's so hard to determine like the best anything of all time. But I would definitely, it's, it, you can make an argument for that being the best sitcom of all time, and it's um, up there. And I think it's definitely. even, sometimes I even think it's, I don't want to say it doesn't get the credit it deserves because people clearly love it and everybody talks about that. But I, I guess I feel like the more I watched it and got into it, the more I realized how truly kind of like, a, it is, it's a piece of art as well as a it sitcom, is. and that's what's special about it. Yeah, I mean, the writing on that, and, and the more, you know, mm-hmm. the more I've watched it over the years, and even, it took me a while, because I have gotten into Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, I didn't have uh, HBO, yeah. I guess, maybe when it was first on, but I remember someone saying, you know, you should watch it, you're such a fan of Seinfeld, and I tried it out probably a couple years ago, and it's just different, you know what I mean? Seinfeld's more sitcom-y. Yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. a, the, the writing style is, again, very similar, but then I said to myself, mm-hmm. probably about a year ago, I said, you know what? You're going to give this a try again for a couple of personal reasons in my life and how I use that type of humor Mm -hmm. to basically deal with kind of, you know, despondent situations. And, you know, I I really dove into it and and I'm a huge Curb fan now. Um, But yeah, so definitely. I mean, the writing is just like, it's just nothing else. You know, the the storylines and how things culminate and come together. It's Mm. just, it's brilliant. It's just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they make it look, look easy, but it's not easy to do that. No, <laughs> no, it's definitely not. So as I said, we could definitely talk down the road about bringing you back on if we want to delve into uh, one or more of these, one of these books in more detail, cool. but let's, so we transition into Sex and the City and maybe at this point mm-hmm. you can pull in again, what you feel comfortable sharing with how yeah. this does sound like it had an intrinsic relationship a little bit to 
you know, your life um, and where you were going mm-hmm. with this new found being in the city and all these experiences and things you hadn't been maybe familiar with or exposed to and how that book came about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like I wrote about it in the beginning. So the, you can, you can read all about it in the introduction to that book. And it's funny okay. though, because I, it's the, it's the one time that I wrote it, it, you know, wrote something personal in one of my books, like that much. I've made references occasionally, but that was the only, it was, it, it was weirdly scary. Like I didn't expect it. It was something I had planned to do. And then when I went to do it, I was like, oh, this is weird. Cause I'm not a memoirist, you know? Right. Um, and I, you're suddenly starting to think about all these memoiry things. And it was only a couple pages, but me having to think like, what if my ex sees this? What, you know, what am I going to put out sure. there? What am I not, not going to put out there? And so, but yeah, like I, I tried to just keep it focused on myself and my relationship to sex in the city. But the opening line to the book is, you know, I left my fiance for sex in the city, which I always <laughs> then jump to point out, not technically true. Let's be clear. Like I'm not an right. idiot. Um, you know, I didn't literally like model my life after a sitcom, like an idiot. Um, but what I meant was it really was true that I was watching the sh- It was whatever, 2004 or something like that. Um, and so the show was sort of really at peak. And I remember watching it together sometimes. And I was living in New Jersey outside of the city and I was going into the city and I was starting to get into this literary scene that I was talking about, which was not glamorous at all. Like there's a lot that isn't like sex in the city for this. Um, but the very, you know, the core idea really spoke to me of just seeing, you know, seeing kind of modeled this idea that you can be single and independent and mm-hmm. have your girlfriends and date and run around the city. And, and sometimes I did take it literally in the sense that I had this one friend, Heather, who I eventually started a feminist website with and stuff. She yes. had just moved to the city and we were sort of like, idiots in the best way together right like there were times when we would just watch the show that week and then see where they went and then go there because we didn't know what else to do we were in such a big city um like we couldn't afford their their lifestyle really but if they went to one bar they went to b bar or they went you know we'd be like where's that let's find that and that was sort of our guide and we kind of did play we always say we were playing sex in the city right um except in our thrift store clothes and you know our Aldo shoes and (laughs) we were having a good time and I realized that there was so much more that I wanted to do and it was at least partly because that show kind of like gave me the courage and modeled it for me as I think what was happening and made it a little less like scary if you can mimic someone else for a while sometimes it feels more accessible you know they teach you what to do so that you can go out and do it and I just suddenly realized like I had not had any of these experiences I wanted and New York's the perfect place for that uh you're in your late 20s and in New York City it's pretty hard to resist if you haven't done it and so you know it's just like even things like going to these um you know grungy literary parties and seeing that 20 something author boys were interested in me like it hadn't occurred to me Mm -hmm. that there were all these like beautiful, smart people in New York City who took and also took my writing dreams really seriously. Like no one ever questioned it. No one was like, you're not going to do that. They were just like, oh, cool. What are you working on? If you said you wanted to be an author. And that made a difference to me to be taken seriously in that way. It's just not something that happened in my hometown. And um, 
you know, it, it really did a number on me and it made me go like, oh, I got to do some stuff before I settle down. And that combined with many other factors that, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes stem from being with the same person since college, even though you've changed, uh, right. Right. eventually led me to um, cancel my wedding. And wow. um, that, that was cool partly because I've gotten I've I've gotten some good uh essay mileage out of that mm-hmm. I'm um, sure a number of essays <laughs> about it you know including the sex in the city opening and um yeah so that was okay. that was the, the and it was fun to bring that together with because by the way I should mention that novel I never sold that was my Romana Clay about that experience that I wrote while I was having the experience. So again, that's probably the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Jennifer. It was probably the better way to like do this, you know, perspective Mm -hmm. among other things. And then I had, you know, developed this sort of franchise of doing books this way and this was by this time, like Seinfeld and Sex and the City were both books where I essentially, you know, had the luxury of having a publisher I could just have conversations with to right. discuss the next book. So I wouldn't necessarily have to write a whole proposal. Um, and we would just, you know, banter back and forth about like different TV show ideas and what might work for both of us. And believe me, I had many ideas they did not like. Uh, okay. But, <laughs> these were the two like Seinfeld was obviously a good idea. And then um, sex and the city had been on my list since the Mary Tyler Moore show book, but I weirdly felt like it was too similar. I don't know, whatever you think weird things at the time. And this came back up and felt like it had been enough time and we could, we had some perspective. And then I realized I could sort of bring this little bit of personal stuff in. And um, because I also feel like that's the point of sex and the city is that, everyone loves it because they see themselves in it and yeah, it has to be relatable, um, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And it is no, sort cool. of like, yeah. And so that was why that, and it, it was another one where I sort of looked into it and felt like, okay, there's enough story to tell it, you know, it had a all female writing staff. It, um, yeah. Launched a billion economies like the, you know, made cupcakes happen and Manola Blahniks and all of that stuff. So, Right. Um, so that was kind of, you know, I felt like that was worth exploring at this point. Absolutely. So let's do this for thank you for sharing that. And again, everyone check out her books, um, you know, uh, Sex in the City and the Seinfeld one and Mary Tyler Moore. So let's see yeah, it. Let's wrap up tonight today with uh, the pop star goddesses. So this is your most recent one, a little different um, mm-hmm. because you're doing more of an yes. essay collection, so to speak. Um, you're picking, yes. in your mind, 35 of the most, you know, relevant modern pop stars with, which, and again, you'll have to, again, share the story with how you came up with this idea, but, you know, just really original, taking, of course, females, you know, taking personality characteristics or traits that they embody and how people can relate to them and then comparing them also to some ancient um, goddess. So mm-hmm. yeah, just give us a background with how you came up with the idea. Um, yeah, we'll just we'll tie things up with that. All right. Um, well, yeah. That, I mean, obviously, it's different for me. It was really a thing that just happened because I hadn't figured out my next book yet. <laughs> okay. And I was making long lists of like any idea I ever had in my life, 
and sending them to my agent. And I was surprised that she actually, I was, this is one of those that isn't for people because I felt like, Oh, no one will ever want that, you know? Um, but I wrote it down anyway. And she was like, I like this one. And so it's an illustrated book. It's an illustrated gift book. It's different in that way for me too. It's very visual. And so it has these beautiful illustrations um, by an artist named Robin Merkel about of all of these 35 goddesses. And I really was, you know, I, as we know, I love pop stars, female pop stars. And I had just, it suddenly sort of hit me when I was reading about goddess practice a mm-hmm. little bit. And a friend of mine does some cute workshops and stuff with us. So I was doing that and it suddenly hit me like, you know, I was looking at the sign I have above my desk that says what would Beyonce do. And I just thought like, <laughs> we really treat our pop, pop stars like we treat goddesses. Like it's not just that we enjoy their music. It's that they stand for something and that we um, emulate. We want to emulate sure. that. And so I really think that's the people who are huge fans of certain pop stars. I think we pick them because of that because we see something of ourselves in them or something we want or a little bit of both and so I just thought like oh you could come up with you know every every one of them is the goddess of something like Britney Spears is the goddess of resilience um Mm -hmm. you know there's a bunch of others and so that's how I just sort of had this vision of like I would buy that book I just think that would be such a cute book and I would totally want to buy it and thought like it would be amazing if someone let me do that and paid me for it. So it was cool because I actually got to learn about a different kind of book. We had to pick the illustrator and work with the illustrator and they made, they just made a beautiful, beautiful book. And they did. I mean, I love I, the, the right? it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, awesome. It's, it's, really, really beautiful the, design. Everything looks perfect. And so I just, it's, it's mostly supposed to be fun. You know what I mean? Like it's not, super serious so some of these women have been through serious things you know and we get into all of that there like we're talking talking about Kesha and her um sexual assault allegations and like they've Mm -hmm. these women go through some stuff which I think is what was so cool about writing it and realizing that and I you know I don't I'm not an expert on 35 pop stars so I had to learn quite a bit fun some of them I didn't know as well as others and yeah, I just thought like, this would be a cool book that I would want. And that's why I did it. So it's a little essay about each one. And then, um, you know, we talk about their, you know, what she's the goddess of, what, compare her to an ancient goddess, a traditional goddess. And then mm-hmm. there's some like journaling questions and there's a playlist and it's just really so fun cool. and light. Yeah, and I think the audience, too. I mean, I think you have a pretty broad audience with this, especially probably from, you mm-hmm. know, kids and maybe even tweens, you know, up and yeah. to people in adulthood. So I think audience-wise and marketing-wise, you can really get a nice, you know, hit a lot of people. Yeah, I hope so. And it's, I hope that one of my hopes was also that you might pick it up. I think any of us are this way. Like, you'd pick it up because you like a few of them you know, sure. very much. You might be like a big Taylor Swift fan or Beyonce fan or Adele fan and pick it up. But then there's all these other women. And so I tried to pick a really diverse in every way um, group mm-hmm. of women in terms of, you know, there's country stars, there's hip hop stars, there's rappers, there's, you know, all of this. And then there's also, um, you know, I try to throw in a few wild card picks like Carla Bruni, the, um, former first lady of France, who's also a French pop star. And I love oh, her. Cool. And I think, yeah, you know, she's, 
she's out there in her fifties, like still being super sexy and doing her thing. And um, like, you know, I wanted to throw in a couple that, you know, not everyone may have heard of, but they might learn about somebody while paging through this to get to their favorite. So I hope people have that experience. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, what a creative idea. And I think that's something that's so interesting just about you personally is just how you come up with these ideas and the creative aspect, especially of this one, of combining a lot of different um, facets, so to speak. So, no, it's great. And I know, please mention where else it can be purchased. I know I was Googling it. You can get it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, Walmart. You know, please also fill in any other places that people can, um, you know, pick up a copy of it. Yeah, any place bookstore, books that are <laughs> books are so I'm like struggling because we don't go to bookstores right now, but right. yeah, like, um, and certainly it's great to support. I, it's actually great to even support Barnes and Noble right now. We want to keep them in business um, mm-hmm. for after, for the after times and places like bookshop.org um, where they're, you know, the, the money goes to local independent stores. You can even, a lot of people are ordering from their local independent bookstores and they're, some of them are delivering. So, um, it's really great to support books right now. Um, we can really need it. We can really use it and we want to keep all of our stores in business until they can open safely again. Absolutely. No, I think that's such a relevant point. And yeah, and again, as we talked about a little earlier real quick is just, you know, a lot of magazines and all these things that we love are just dwindling and we don't want that to happen. Yep. Um, we want to save yep. as much as we can. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, Jennifer, I would be more than willing to have you come on another time and, and delve into some other stuff because there's still a ton of research right. and stuff I didn't even get to with you. But um, <laughs> yeah, let's we'll we'll tie things up for the day. But we'll be in touch um, off the air and definitely figure out some time down the road to bring you back on and dive into some more stuff because you definitely have such a rich history and such a phenomenal career and yeah. So thank you but, so yeah, much. I mean, thank this you. Was fun. Yeah, no, I hope you I hope you had a good time. And, um, yeah, there'll be a podcast available, too. So if anyone couldn't, of right. course, tune into it, there'll be a version where people can, of course, stream it and download it at their convenience. So we'll, we'll definitely hopefully promote that, too. All right. Great. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Jennifer. And much continued success to you and all of your books. And I, I look forward to seeing also what's going to be in the works in the future with you. Okay. Thank you so much. So have a great day and we'll definitely be in touch. Okay. Bye. Okay. Thanks so much, Jennifer. Bye. All right, everyone. Again, Jennifer Kishin Armstrong. We talked about so much today, almost did two hours. Um, So please check out her books. Like we said, she has so many books up. You can go to um, her website, just uh, Google Jennifer Kishin Armstrong. And um, she has a bunch of information there, or just as we said, listen to the interview and Google everything she's done. So thank you so much again for tuning in today. We've had some really interesting guests on these past few weeks. I'm going to be um, doing my own research and uh, seeing who I'm going to contact next. So please become a fan of The Carrie Edelman Show on Facebook. You can uh, like the page there. I'm also on Instagram at Carrie Edelman, on Twitter at Carrie Edelman. Um, And that's how you can also see some updates for my postings and who's coming up next. Also, if you follow the Blog Talk Radio show, they will send you regular emails about um, shows that are coming up in the future. 
And if you want to personally friend me on Facebook, I have two pages. Um, if one of them is maxed out, just find the other one, and you can also connect with me there. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in today. It was an amazing interview with Jennifer. Um, and again, if you tuned in late, you can always download the podcast or stream it, which will be available um, within probably about the next hour. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a great day. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.